All right. Here we go. Quiet. Roll up. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of yesterday, and even today, and try to make some sense out of the whole mess. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky. <laughs> Hi, guys. God, we're doing this? Yes, we are doing this. Okay. I was a big, I'm a big cat. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And, and seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online, editor and chief extraordinaire, <laughs> Rich Trees. How's it going, Natasha? Ow. Oh, boy. <laughs> this, I, I, oh. Okay, that's the last one, I promise. Okay, okay. <laughs> He's only been hearing it for the last half hour. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yes, you are... Uh, you you get into that mode where you like to make those cat noises. I know you've talked about how you do that at uh, your boring <laughs> ass day job. Yes, and um, and they love it too. Oh, well, I'm sure. I got dropped off a cat toy and catnip the other day, <laughs> and I hung it up and I sat on the floor for ten minutes at one point because I was bored out of my mind, and I just batted at it. Oh boy, <laughs> it's they, a little thing sometimes. They must wonder. That was a customer who dropped that off. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, how you doing this week? How was uh, your movie week this week? My movie week? What the hell did I watch? Uh, the Bishop's Wife for mm. our friends on Loud and Nerdy Podcast through the uh, Indie at, Escape Network. For uh, That was on Generation Movies on the Indie Escape Network. Shh. Loud and Nerdy is... Shit. Tonight we're recording, so I don't know what uh, JW and those guys are, but you can find all of those episodes over on the Indie Network. Uh, Indie Escape, Escape Network. Indie I Escape see. I got Net that part right. Over on the Indie Escape Network's uh, YouTube page, mm. where uh, JW and I have a show. You graciously show up every now and then, which is always a joy. I scare the shit out of him when I arrive in the green room. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> apart from that, everything has been a little slow moving for me when it comes to, to films. Uh, we're coming to the end of the year, and yes, unlike you, who is going through all the movies to wrap up this year for the Philic, uh, Philic, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that word. <laughs> the Philly Film Critics Circle. That's what mm -hmm. I was going for. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yep. Which our wonderful editor-in-chief happens to be a member. Um, I myself am doing what all of us do who aren't critics. We sit down and we watch Christmas movies. I, I don't understand that concept. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> wow. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I enjoy a good Christmas film, and we're going to talk about a good Christmas film in just a little bit. Um, one thing, though, that kind of broke over the last couple of days, I only saw it mentioned this morning, and then I saw it kind of spread out over social media to over the course of today. I literally have no idea where you're going with this, but um, I can't wait to hear about it. Was how Stephen King was shutting down his Dollar Baby program. Oh, which, you had to go there. Yes, I did hear okay. about that um, Really quickly, if people aren't familiar, um, for years, 
Stephen King allowed student filmmakers to license the film rights to his short stories for a dollar uh, for a year. And they could go out and make their you know, short film based on one of his short stories. Um, they could you know, take these out to festivals. They couldn't make any money. That was part of the contract. But um, it was just a way to um, encourage young artists. And uh, Natasha here was the lead in a Stephen King Dollar Baby short film. <laughs> yes. And you had a great ride with it. Um, AJ, the writer-director who is a friend of ours and actually the son of somebody I went to high school with. <laughs> and, um, you know, he he made a great film. And everybody, you know, got some acclaim out of it, uh, some great experience out of it. And um, fantastic yeah, I, stories to when, tell. Yeah. When I saw that this morning, like when I kind of got up and was just lying in bed, doom scrolling through Twitter, I was like, ooh, um, oh, that's a bummer. Um, I didn't get notice about it until around 11 o'clock. Things got a little busy for me at the day job, so I wasn't able to keep up with what was going on uh, film-wise through news. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting tagged in things on Facebook and uh, and Twitter and Instagram, or sorry, X and Instagram. It's Twitter. And all of a sudden, my phone's blowing up, and I open it up, and I uh, the group pages, Dairy Public Radio, which hosts and also brings out the Dollar Baby Film Festival, Stephen King Dollar Baby Film Festival, uh, which has been running the last few years, mm -hmm. were in an uproar. And uh, it broke a lot of hearts. There are there are even people who out there, um, there's a gentleman I know by the name of Anthony Northup, who has spent a good portion of his life um, cataloging and doing a compendium of most of these Dollar Baby films. He is practically our personal historian. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an interesting community that kind of sprung up out of this idea. Mm -hmm. um, and when uh, Garish, which was an adaption of King's uh, short story, Cain Rose Up, uh, which is the film you were in, yes. uh, started doing like the little festival rounds and stuff like that, it was still in covid so I was able to watch some of that stuff online, and I was really impressed with how much um, support everybody gives everybody else. And I, w I was like, wow, this is a really great little community. So I could see them being devastated. We, um, we were lucky enough, actually, during our run of Garish to play the Dollar Baby film festival twice as well as some other international festivals um so the first time we played the dollar baby film festival we played as a usual competitor and then they created their own block for the second year that we were there uh which was returning films mm -hmm. um so they went through and they picked what they thought was the most imaginative the most um interesting adaptations or uh, representations of the story. And I thought that was, I, w I was honored because when we first came in doing Kane Rose Up, um, the f which 
it's actually a two-part film, Garish happens to be. So Kane Rose Up is the latter half, which we shot first. Mm-hmm. Um, very faithful to the story. But then we decided to look back and say, well, what if it had a backstory? How did this person get to this point? And we wrote that and we stringed it all together and that's how it became Garish. So... There's actually a third part that has been written, which mm-hmm. will now never see the light of day. Unfortunately, it was a good script. I enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. It breaks my heart a little, but I, I know at least how I hard know you worked on that too. Yes. Thank God for COVID. Three days of my life was spent writing that script nonstop. I couldn't. I literally could not stop. Um. I'm just happy that even in my own mind I can come to peace with the fact that mm-hmm. Kate Garish's story is now over. For those of you have, who have read Skeleton Key and know the story of Kane Rose Up, um, that would be Kurt Garish. But for our for our film, the director decided to gender swap it. Mm-hmm. So, Which was I, an interesting concept in and of itself, and I thought he uh, AJ did really well with it. He sold me on that, mm-hmm. actually, when he brought it to me and said, hey, do you, do you want to play this role? I did some research into it, and at that time, it was 2017, 2018? In 18 years, there had only been three female school shooters out of the entire list of school shooters. Mm-hmm. And my brain went... What is the psychology behind that? Why is there such a a difference in the numbers? So I thought that was interesting to play. It was hard to play, but I did love it. I know it's kind of messed up to say, but I I loved trying to figure that mystery out. No, that's that's a great writing and acting exercise. mm -hmm. And then to embody that and bring that to life in the short i think you guys did you know some great work thank you and i I feel that a lot of people are going to miss out on opportunities to really try something Uh, with these yeah it it, it's a unfortunate loss of opportunity but at least it inspired you know a certain amount of filmmakers to go out and make their own stuff and hopefully you know as many of them are going to continue their filmmaking journey Man, you depressed the hell out of me. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to do <laughs> Where's that whiskey? Oh, boy. Here we go. Um, well, welcome to Drunk po- dr- Welcome to Drunk Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, uh, gods, no. Anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, well, to um, kind of shift gears a little bit, um, some people who had been working at Pixar who were probably very depressed about how the uh, company's output had been treated during COVID with Soul and Turning Red just being shunted off to Disney+. Plus. Soul was brilliant. Yes. Well, now they have they have a reason to be happy because in January, February, and March, Disney is releasing Soul and Turning Red and one other film to theaters. So if you wanted to see one of those films and you saw it on Disney Plus, I was like, this is nice. But you wanted to see it on a big screen if you're an animation fan, you now have that option. Uh, Yeah, Disney doesn't have a whole lot of other stuff coming out for this coming year. 2024 is kind of looking kind of spare because we just had two strikes that kind of uh, uh, delayed a lot of stuff. 
So I think this could be Disney looking to shore up uh, their overall income streams. But I'm I'm excited because I want to go back and see Soul on a big screen. I will definitely be doing that in January. I think um, Turning Red uh, is a great, you know, family outing. Mother-daughter outing kind of a thing. That is a bad business decision. Why do you think so? Because they've been on streaming for a good portion of three or four years. And adults going to see it, I can maybe understand Mm -hmm. if they can look past the idea that animation is for kids only. Um, But parents taking their kids, families, say if... Roughly, let's say a family of four. Mm -hmm. Mother, father, son, daughter, to the movies. What's the math on the money on that? For movies that have been out for several years. Plus, kids' attention spans are very small. They jump and jump and jump and jump. The idea of taking them to see a movie that they have watched probably half a dozen, if not a dozen times by now, and are probably bored with... Is it's not good. Well, possibly, yes. It could, you know, fam- families could say, Why should we spend $40 on tickets? And then snacks, when we spend $12 we- and we can watch all of these movies in the next 24 to 48 hours. True. However, I would say that there's virtually nothing family film wise coming out in the first quarter of this year. So if parents are looking to take their kids out, this might be a viable option for them. Um, We'll see how this plays out because like just about everything else with theatrical movie exhibitions since 2019, um, it's an experiment. Let's see what happens. Let's just do something. And... Animated films have always had the habit of selling when because there aren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. So when one comes into the theater, oh, you can guarantee it's probably going to make at least number one, if not number two at the box office um, for quite a while. But for movies that have been out for two, three years, uh I, I don't see it having the same staying power uh, as when a, a live action film gets re-released, mm-hmm. even for its 10th anniversary, 20th anniversary, or hell, let's just re-release it like Die Hard this weekend, because what it's, the hell? It's Die Hard's 35th anniversary. So it okay, is an so anniversary. Okay, so it is an anniversary. Yeah. And there, it's, they it's don't actually for... write that on Fandango. It just oh, it's, says it's, it says it on the Cinemark site at least. No, on Fandango it just says Die Hard re-release. Okay. Whereas the movie that we are going to discuss mm-hmm. being re-released actually says 20th anniversary on I it. I think like this coming week or so, it's a really interesting week at the box office. Because we have opening up this coming weekend, we have the 20th anniversary of Love Actually, and that's running for several days. We've got the 35th anniversary of Die Hard, which is running several days. We've got a foreign language film in subtitles that was in the top five this past week. Godzilla. Godzilla minus one, (laughs) which was only going to run a week. And then suddenly Toho was like in the last 48 hours going, oh, 
we're making money at this. We should probably keep it in theaters for another week or two. Oh, they changed their mind? Yeah, they did change their oh, mind. Oh, thank God. I actually was... do want to catch up with it, and I knew I was not going to be able to do it by Thursday. <laughs> so, um, um, and, and just... I know we were talking about that last night on Generation Movie as the opener, mm-hmm. and it was mentioned that it was only in until Thursday, so thank God Toho changed their mind. Yes, I'm very excited about that. Um, you've got... Take the wind, dude. I just said I'm excited to go see a Godzilla movie. I will go with you. I will go with you because I want to see that again on the big screen. I kind of want to see it by myself or I want to see it with people who haven't seen it. Okay. Fine. Therefore, I'm not spoiled by you guys looking at me during certain parts like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see their reaction. And just by seeing your reaction, I know something's fucking coming. (laughs) I know. I do that a lot. You do that a lot. I do it to other people, though, so I cannot say anything. Okay. Um, (laughs) But there's also, you know, we're starting to see some smaller things like um, – a drama Eileen coming out this week. I want to see that. Uh, I think that's from Neon. Mm-hmm. So um, there's there was like one or two other things that were showing just at our local Cinemark here outside of Scranton. With May December dropped this May, week. May December, yeah, on Netflix. On Netflix, um, theatrically, there's like one or two different um, Indian films that we we got in. And Hollywood like, or Tollywood. I'm not sure, <laughs> honestly. Uh, come on, man! I thought you were my expert on the big. On I the, am far um, from an expert. I am probably the most expert person out of anybody you know. That is true. But nah, I, I know. I know I, one I know. person who definitely would school you. Okay. We'll we'll talk later about that person then, because I'd like to meet them. Zabeda, I haven't okay, spoken well. to her in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's an exciting time. There's not a lot of big releases except for Wonka and um, Aquaman too, both from Warner Brothers, which is stupid to me. Why are they, you know, they should have pushed Aquaman back are a little bit. Are they doing the same week or? I think they're within a week of each other. It seems, it's mm. really weird. Um, Honestly, we're also I think getting like Wonka Maestro be... and Ferrari and a couple of other films dropping, but we're f- kind of like in this weird week or two before those bigger films start hitting. So I'm kind of excited about, wow, this is just a weird time. Like tomorrow night, Fathom Events, the 4K restoration of uh, The Abyss. I am so excited, and I'm thinking I might actually be able to go to it now because of some other things that were pushed to next week. So I'm like, ooh, I might go to The Abyss. Well, the thing that I kills seen me in theaters since. It premiered. Well, enjoy it. (laughs) The thing that kills me is that Aquaman should be the film that is Warner Brothers' big whammo at Christmas. Because it came out at Christmas four years ago when the first one came out. And it did very well. And Mm -hmm. I liked the first Aquaman. Uh, Honest, I think with there being a lot of controversy behind this one, you know, in which I uh, am I speaking? I th- I think that oh, is a controversy that's kind of confined to TikTok and Twitter <laughs> and social media. You're adorable and Instagram. I don't think too many people outside of that give a shit about the whole Amber Heard thing. You are fucking adorable. I absolutely I still have people coming into my branch fighting with other people. 
that's ridiculous and they need to get a life. Yes. And get a life. Yes. But that being said, it's still an issue. Whereas Wonka, the biggest issue you have is Hugh Grant is playing the Yumpa Loompas, which is well, kind of a little bit of an issue. I could see, I could see where some people would get upset. But then again, are they? Is Hugh Grant taking a job away from a real Oompa Loompa? No. Let's not go there. <laughs> Let's not go there. Because now I feel horrible, and I, uh, yeah, let's not go there. Oh, also? But I think Wonka is going to do better at the box office than Aquaman is. It just might. I mean, I think Wonka is an interesting alternative. I mean, I think both Aquaman and Wonka have the potential to be good family films. Well, um, you and I spoke uh a while ago about how people some people are getting tired of the whole superman shtick yeah uh or superman yeah superhero, superhero shtick. shtick yeah yes where a lot of people are going to start pulling away because every genre has its day and this one is seems to be finally dying out um wonka is definitely a more family friendly alternative so, therefore, parents can take their kids to go see it. It still has the IP of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, mm-hmm. but it does feel more innocent. It's from the people who did Paddington. Yes, uh, which which is which is a big seller. Kind of the thing that I'm hanging my hat on about this movie is Ye- that if it's going to be good, it's going to be because of them. Yeah. Um, I know you're a big Timothy Chalamet fan. I'm a. Uh, I but, loved Hugh Grant and Paddington too. So, but the. The bits that we've seen in like the trailers, he doesn't quite have that air of whimsy or that kind of like bounce to. But I'm okay his with that. Dialogue. He's young. True. Maybe he just hasn't reached that point yet. That's and that's true too. I mean, right now the movie is sitting on Rotten Tomatoes with a 93, which kind of has me shocked. I honestly thought this thing was going to clock in around 80. I have but. been watching a lot of the promotion that's been happening for this. Bloomingdale's would not have done their Christmas windows in Wonka theme if they didn't think this film was going to succeed. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's Yeah, that's <laughs> like, possible. That's yeah. a huge risk to take on their Christmas windows. If you're going to show up with, I've got a theme for the holiday windows of New York City's flagship, one of their flagship department stores, you better make certain that it's going to, one, bring in the marketing and the money that you need, Mm -hmm. is promoting a product that is going to succeed, therefore making certain that you succeed, and still gives the whimsy of the holiday season. Aquaman doesn't do any of that. That's true. (laughs) <laughs> I think Wonka mm-hmm. is definitely, for a while, was the underdog of the holiday season. Now I think it might actually be the winner. It 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 very may it may may very well be. Um, I mean, remember, you know, like four years ago at this time, uh, Aquaman was tracking to make a billion dollars, which it did. So I mean, for this thing, probably, but to that was peter when? out. You said four years ago. Yes. Thank you for. Uh, no, I'm curious. Yeah, That's what I was yeah. Saying. When it came out four years ago, um, it seems insane that you know a film that was that profitable would turn around and have a um, a sequel 
do like less than a quarter of that, but it kind of feels like it might, which is, you know, like I said, insane. But then again, that's going to be the last superhero movie we have for about 14 or 15 months, with the exception of Deadpool in the middle of summer next year. Okay, so actually, four years ago, that puts it at... 2019, wasn't it? Or was it 2018? The first Aquaman movie came out December 2018. Okay, 2018, excuse me. Avengers Endgame dropped uh, April 2019. Okay. And that's when we started to see its demise. Of the genre. I don't think it's the demise of Not the genre. T- it's but slowly I, petering I, out. Slowly with each film. I would... There are some uptakes. Yeah. Such as Wakanda Forever and a yeah, few Yeah, I others. would say there's some course correction public's interest. And yeah, they, they're... Like I said, though, we're going 2024 into like February of 2025 without another superhero, with the exception of Deadpool 3. So... Deadpool 3 is going to make a shit ton of money. Oh, yeah. So as long as that, um, will, it will keeps to it. People be interested in, you know, in superhero movies again, because it's going to be a while rather than having one come out every other month. We will see. I know that Deadpool is definitely going to make its money as long as it keeps to the vibe that Deadpool has established. If they try to course correct into a Marvel movie from there, they're going to lose people because he's the fucking Merc with the mouth. We want him to be loud. I, we want him to be show I don't. I don't see them doing any kind of vast um, shift from what they've done in the previous two movies. All right, well... If they take it from R to PG-13 right there, you're going to lose a lot of people. I don't think so. I think Ryan Reynolds knows what makes this movie uh, this movie franchise work, and he's he's going to fight as hard as he can to keep it the, working the way he knows it should okay. be working, and I really don't see them making it a PG-13 movie. Even Kevin Feige himself has said, no, um, Deadpool is going to be an R-rated film. Good. So. That being said, though, Deadpool is separate from the MCU. It's not a part of the DCEU. And as we have seen in the last few DCEU films, such as The Flash, it's not made the numbers that we thought it was going to make. No, no. That's that's why, I mean, we're not getting another DC movie until late June, early July of 2025. Batman was the last good one that they've had come out. Not mm-hmm. just critically, but also from box office. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because it was trying something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, though, the next thing we're getting from DC after Aquaman in a theater is um, James Gunn's uh, Superman Legacy. Well, then let's hope that yeah. we'll, we'll have superheroes a have to a... hang out and watch a whole bunch of other different stuff. Good. And we need it. Yeah. We... Yeah. And then hopefully the genre will come back even stronger, you know. In 2025, 2026, you know, we got we finally have a Star Wars film coming out in 2025, <laughs> which they just said is probably going to start shooting this April. Let me just preface. Sure. I really do love superhero films. I do. I know. And I, I hope our listeners don't think that I'm coming into this with a idea that is completely negative, that superheroes <laughs> are over. Superheroes will never be over, mm-hmm. baby. I know. <laughs> No, I'm and, speaking to our listeners. Well, okay. <laughs> um, no, superheroes will never be over. 
But every now and then one needs to take a little bit of, bre- of a breath. Kind of like with me, with Christmas music. I start playing it in June and it annoys the <laughs> shit out of people around me. I was going to say, your break from Christmas music is called February. And that's, that's it. when it starts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Privately. I was going to say. 28 days is all you can take as a break from Christmas music for a year. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is give people a little bit of a breather and they will come back as loyal Uh as ever. But if you try them too hard, they rebel against it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, we always will. I hope for the the meantime, In the meantime, lots of other stuff to talk about. Um, So let's just kind of... Shift gears right into uh, the film we wanted to talk about today, our retro review of... That was a horrible segue. I know it And was you horrible... said you wanted to do segues. Well, you were doing terrible when we were talking before off mic, so this is probably not much better. No, it's not. No, but anyways... <laughs> I dare anyways. you to keep all this in. <laughs> no, I, well, I might. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> anyways, Love Actually, a movie I think I've only seen once before, and that was... What? years ago it's so good though it is good it's it's a fantastic piece of screenwriting from richard curtis who was also co-creator of blackadder which is one of my all-time favorite uh british comedies and that's also why rowan atkinson shows up in this and also one of the king of the late 90s british romantic comedies hello i'm also looking at you notting hill mm-hmm. oh yeah and four weddings and a funeral mm-hmm and yeah, so, uh, which also had Rowan Atkinson in it, and uh, <laughs> um, and I'm trying to remember because I've recently been doing like a kind of a deeper dive into like some '80s uh, British sketch comedy things like that. Of course, you are with um, the series, not necessarily the uh, not the nine o'clock news. Which ran, I think, three or four series on the BBC. It was kind of a news parody kind of a show, similar to um, the uh, similar to like the Daily Show, but with some sketch things thrown in there as well. At Rowan Atkinson was part of that, and I think Richard Curtis wrote for that. And um, don't ask me if he did or no, not. I've never I'm, fucking I'm, heard of this shit. Uh, wow, it's yeah. not shit. Um, and. You know, so so I've kind of been on like this journey through Richard com- Curtis, you know, Richard Curtis comedy, yeah. That then I've been like, oh, okay, and then Black Adder comes next, and then this and that. You know, trying to mm-hmm. putting it all together. You're doing a roadmap of his timeline, uh, aren't yes, you? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and that's that's what I always like about this stuff because I kind of picked it up piecemeal all through my life as a kid, as an adult, and every now and then you find another puzzle piece that goes. Oh, okay. And that's why, you know, oh, okay, that's why so-and-so's here, because they did this with the other, and... We should start doing polls on our website (laughs) that goes along with the Big Picture Podcast. So if there's ever a question asked, like the one I am about to to ask as well to you, uh, we could get responses from our (laughs) audience who listens. And the question is... Can can I finish my thought, though, first? I was on a roll there. I know. The question was going to be really quick. Should you also, as part of your timeline, re-watch Notting Hill and Four Weddings and a Funeral? 
Um, I only watched uh, rewatched uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral just recently. I haven't seen Notting Hill since it came out, so I probably have to go. I back actually and re- recently rewatched okay. it. So, um, but as as I was trying to get to, you get all this interesting web of uh, creators, actors, writers, directors, and stuff like that, and you find surprising, interesting connections. The way you discover that all of these characters and their various inter uh, and their various individual stories in Love Actually are all related, and you find out most of that once you get to the elementary school pageant mm-hmm. uh, about two thirds of the way through the movie. <laughs> I was suddenly like, "Oh, oh, oh! They're they're parents of because their kids are in the oh, okay." You know, it was it was a great moment. I really liked. I mean, you were starting to piece it together a little bit here and there. Um, you know, Emma Thompson being um, Hugh Grant's uh, sister, younger sister, and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, okay, that's a nice. But married thing. to Alan Rickman, yeah. and yeah. and you're like, okay, well, how do these two factor into all of this? And that was like my biggest, my biggest complaint was the two movie stand-in characters, Martin Freeman, yes. and uh, oh my god, I can't remember that's, her name. Yeah. I, I think of her as Queen Elizabeth from Day of the Doctor. <laughs> But yeah, I'm like, how do these people connect to any of this going on? And then suddenly you're like, oh, okay, because he knows that, and that person knows this, and the boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's a six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of situation <laughs> really in this movie. Which once you stand back and you really look at the overall thing, it's like this is an amazing puzzle. This is an amazing piece of clockwork that Richard Curtis has put together, and every gear meshes perfectly. Everything works. It's it's a perfect machine of screenwriting. And also, this film inspired so many others to come after it, such as New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day. But do they live up to love, actually? I don't think they do. No, no, they're 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 all chasing that same high and they're not getting it. No, I don't think they quite understand it as well. But that's because this thing is such a tricky, intricate mm-hmm. screenplay. And you know, like I said, this is like maybe the second or third time I've watched this thing since it came out, and it's been a long time since <laughs> I've watched it. And you sat down. You 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 know this movie inside out. You know like all the deleted <laughs> scenes and stuff. And you went onto YouTube before we started recording. And you're like, okay, you got to see this scene. You got to see this deleted. This deleted. This deleted. And as I'm watching it, it's all good stuff for the most part. But um, he knew where to cut. He knew exactly what to cut because every scene, while good, it's some nice performances or a funny moment. It doesn't add more in a cumulative way to the overall film. And he cut this thing right to the bone. It's one of the leanest. I mean, it's two hours, but it's still mm-hmm. all those extra scenes. You know, I saw on the YouTube search would have made this movie another 20 minutes longer. And Love Actually, the extended edition. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, he did not uh, succumb to any uh, Peter Jackson-like uh <laughs> Hey, hey, impulses. Hey, hey. And, and I say that with all love in my heart. You for know the where we were going. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes, but this should be taught in film school. Seriously, this is one of those movies where it's just like wow. Every character, every moment, every frame serves a purpose. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> you just made my night. Oh. 
Thank you. Which I really fucking needed. Um, <laughs> I, I know that the last time you said those words were after we had the re-release of Titanic back in February. Mm. And you don't say that all that often. Apparently I say it twice a year. Then <laughs> I was getting my second You've, one in honest, right under the wire here. But before Titanic, I can't remember the last time that you mm. said that on air. So, ladies and gentlemen, mm. if you want to... Listen back to any of our previous uh, 125 episodes and bring me proof. Please do. Mm-hmm. But that is high praise coming from you. And that. Thank you. It's just, you're welcome. It's just the more as I was watching it earlier, even before you got here early while I was still watching it, uh, I was thinking, wow, this thing is like ticking right along. And once they get once they get to that <laughs> Um, like I said, the uh, elementary school pageant, it's like everything is paying off. All the connections are hitting. Mm-hmm. And the next 20 minutes is all denouement, basically. But it's all really good denouement. Yes. Um, I was actually very shocked. Um, I put this up as I was hanging up Garland in my hallway uh, this year during the Christmas season. And my husband came out and he was helping me hang it up. And all of a sudden, he starts quoting the movie that's playing all the way down in the parlor. (laughs) And I looked at him. I was like, what are you doing? I do this. I quote love, actually. dialogue, not him. (laughs) Exactly. He goes, I may have seen it a few times before I met you. Ooh. (laughs) And I was like, I love you. Aw. But it's it's interesting how much um, people react to this film. They love it. They mm-hmm. hate it. They can't get enough of it. They want more of it. Uh, I had my stepson who a couple years ago walked into the parlor. Honest to God, he walked down the stairs, turned into the parlor, went, what are you watching? Took one look at a frame of the film and went... Oh, you're watching Love Actually, and walked out of the room. <laughs> and I was like, I have trained them. At least he, he knew it. He knew it by about two seconds of the film. Mm-hmm. I probably may have watched it half a dozen times since knowing them at that point. Mm-hmm. Watched it a lot more since then. Yes. But for them to be present for maybe six times. So if. He was able to figure that out. I did my job well, man. He That film <laughs> stuck in his head. Yes. Yes, it did. Now, uh, you were talking a little bit with me before we started rolling about, you know, we were talking about the cutscenes and stuff. And you came up with an, you, you mentioned something and uh, that Richard Curtis had been toying with as an idea. And oh, I, yes. I thought it was interesting. And... As I'm thinking about aloud about it now, it I think I know where he might have been inspired. But explain what Richard Curtis originally thought about Rowan Atkinson's character in the movie. Okay. So Rowan Atkinson has a lovely double whammy in the film at one point as showing up as a jewelry clerk in – I'm guessing it was supposed to be Her- uh, Herod's department store uh, selling – a necklace that was supposed to end up to Alan Rickman's potential mistress. Uh, And he stalls him long enough to get him annoyed. And then his wife played by Emma Thompson shows up. 
later on he shows up again um uh, Rowan Atkinson shows up in the film again at the airport when Liam Neeson and his stepson played by Thomas Sangster are trying to stop Thomas Sangster's crush from getting on the plane at least long enough so that he can say goodbye to the little girl. Mm-hmm. And Rowan shows up as kind of a, a distraction to one of the airport security members so the kid can kind of run past. Mentioned on the Love Actually director cast commentary, which is by far one of the best I've ever heard next to the Chronicles of Narnia cast commentaries. Um, he mentions how Rowan Atkinson was supposed to be inspired by an angel who is supposed to show up in order to stop people from either making the wrong decision or to help them to reach their goals mm-hmm. at Christmas. And I thought that was really interesting. I I see how it doesn't fully play off because it's not set up in a proper way. It just looks like two coincidences. That Oh, there's that Rowan Atkinson guy again at the airport. There is one moment, though, where Rowan turns and look at, looks at Liam Neeson As after the kid runs, yeah. Yeah, runs past security. And he just gives him this look of, I've got you, man. Mm-hmm. Which, which... If you're if you sort of know what that scene's original intent is, it it's, it's amazing. It's obvious as hell. Um otherwise it's just kind of like a little you know, like a like little Like I could have heard it and then walked over to help. Or just a little nod of Merry Christmas, you know? Yeah. It's kind of a thing. It could have just been anything. And here's what I realized as we were talking about that and I kind oh, of no. held myself in check. I think I know where you go with Do, this. This really reminds me of, and we both watched this for the first <laughs> time it. earlier this week. Um, Bishop's Wife. Yeah. It reminds me of Cary Grant and the Bishop's Wife. <laughs> and I, I would love to talk to Richard Curtis and ask him if that's was an inspiration for that idea that ultimately he abandoned, but was you know still an interesting creative choice to do in the movie. And um, <laughs> because it was just like, Oh, an angel who just kind of weaves in and out. And also, you know, if he had worked on it a little harder in the screenplay, but the screenplay is pretty goddamn good. It's um, tight. Yeah. It, if he had had more time to develop that, maybe we would have seen more scenes of Rowan Atkinson popping up here and there. And that would have served as another piece of connective tissue that pulls all these people together. Hmm. So even as great as it is, there are still options that would have been available. Would that have made it even better or not? Who's to say? But I love how this film really kind of embraces the idea of love at the holidays amongst all groups. Mm-hmm. Um, minus one, unfortunately, made it into the deleted scenes, but did not make it into the final cut of the film. Yeah. And that was the LGBTQ community, unfortunately. But apart from that, it embraces a more polyamorous or inner interracial. It just it it has everything. Unrequited. That one really hit me hard a lot as a kid. I first saw this movie in two thousand four. I was nine years old, and 
I just knew that there were certain characters who were going to forever stick with me. As I've gotten older, I have matured. Some of those characters still maintain their power over me. Others don't. And then there are others besides that who have popped in in their place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura Linney is brilliant in this film. Yes. And I, it, it's, and she's one of the heartbreaking ones too, that mm-hmm. she, you know, she gives up on that because, you know, she still loves her brother and she has to take care of him. And sometimes people. Who is mentally ill yes. too. And I think that's a, that's a very important storyline and a very important recognition that even 20 years later, we can look at and go, I understand that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is a weird movie in the way that it has uh, bittersweet storylines like that. Um, for one character's storyline, we basically start off with a funeral. Uh, oh, my God. I'm sorry. I have to really quickly piggyback off of what you're okay. saying. That scene is really fucking hard to watch because I remember sitting in my high school library messing around on my computer when I got notification that Natasha Richardson had passed away. Uh, For those of you who do not know, Natasha Richardson of Parent Trap and a few other fame uh, was the wife of Liam Neeson, who Mm -hmm. died in a skiing accident. And so afterwards, watching that scene is really hard Mm -hmm. for me. To imagine yeah. and that this she is your through. namesake too, correct? No, she oh, is not. That's right. I'm sorry. My bad. It's the other Natasha. <laughs> Nastasia can Yes. But, um but it watching that scene is really hard. There's a couple looks on his face that my brain goes, Did he make these same faces when he actually buried his wife? And oof. I don't like doing that and it hurts so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's a beautiful scene. It's a, it's a beautiful scene, and I think what's really interesting is they take that song and it just bleeds right over into the wedding scene. Yeah, right next to it, and I was like, "Wow, that's a great choice." Oh my god, you're right. It does work. I yeah. didn't think about that, but it, it does. And it it's a great choice of you know the yeah this is the photo montage that the now deceased uh wife put together um with the music that she wanted you know to leave her friends with and her family with and you know it's it's very much an ending Mm -hmm. (laughs) and yet we look at weddings very much as a beginning or a new beginning of of a, a you know a couple's life and until you see andrew lincoln sitting to the side who's in love with Keira knightley's character who watching his best friend marry the woman he loves mm-hmm. he is saying goodbye yes to her that way yes it it works on a, a number of levels Fuck. again this is some really well thought out stuff i didn't think about that i've watched this movie so many times in I, 19 years i never picked up on that dare say there's probably a good term pa- collegiate term paper <laughs> to be written about just music choices in this movie um from taking, you know, love is all around uh, and turning it <laughs> into Christmas is all around, which is a terrible idea to begin with. You need to um, see the music video, dude. <laughs> There's a full music video for this. Oh, it can't be good. Oh, it's amazingly bad. 
I love it so much. And what's what kills me is I like the song Love is All Around. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original version is fantastic. Uh, don't yell at me for this. I have a bootleg of Talking Heads in 1976 playing at CBGB's, working out like, you know, some of their early hits like Psycho Killer and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They drop Love is All Around in the middle of their <laughs> sets. And to hear David Byrne sing it is like, wow, this is crazy. Um, and to hear it here, though, and then like mutate it, and it's like, it's in the most crassly commercial way possible. <laughs> this is shit, isn't it? Yep, solid goat shit, shit, maestro. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, and yeah, he understands exactly what they're doing they're ex- you know he knows exactly this is crass this is commercialism and then i love how the character just kind of plays into it and just goes and is absolutely flat out honest about it with this character is played by the wonderful bill knight yes and he he just has a kind of like a an entire i have no fucks I've to no give fucks away to give cuz i've to, to lose uh-huh. and it's 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 a delightful through line through this whole movie <laughs> where it's just like up oh, here he comes to do something wacky now and i love it to pieces i have talked to friends of mine who have watched this movie and said i would have bought that fucking record just because he literally gives no fucks about anything <laughs> oh same here i most likely would have gone if i had seen him on like <laughs> I mean, well, he, he was. They have him on like Ant and Deck, which were two. Which um, he says Ant or Deck, and that pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's just being like, I don't know Snarky. who either of you are. So that's actually not written that way. He delivered it that that way, and uh, so the look you get between Ant and Deck is one of those. Did he just say that? Yeah. <laughs> well, it makes the scene work. It does. But. You know, and they're actual presenters of a chat show. I don't know if they're still together or doing a show or not. But, you know, if he had shown up on, like, Letterman, (laughs) I mean, good God, Letterman would have had him on the second he started doing something (laughs) like that. Because Letterman was all about busting the ridiculousness of uh, commercialism and stuff like that. If you, you know, watch his show, it was always about, like, subverting talk show premises and tropes. So, yeah. I could see Letterman saying, get that guy on our show now because he will say some amazing stuff and I don't care. <laughs> there are so many amazing lines that came out of this movie and a lot of them came from Bill Nye's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them famously is, hello, boys and girls. Here's uh, an here's an important <laughs> message from your Uncle Bill. Don't buy drugs. Become a pop star and they give you them for free. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a delightful performance. It really is. And it's interesting he did this and Underworld in the same year <laughs> and both of these movies together shot him into fame. Mm-hmm. Yes, love very that. Much so. Who's your favorite uh couple? Actually, wow. make it two. Let's make it two. Oh, geez. Um, well, it's really hard to pick just one. There's just so many good ones I do ones like here. the Prime Minister's story. 
Um, yeah, because God damn it, Hugh Grant is just charming <laughs> and awkward. Yes. and he's got so much shame. Yeah, he's like, Billy Bob Thornton comes and in. He's and he, you know ugh. he just managed to you know navigate British politics to become the prime minister. <laughs> he can't and, navigate his own relationship. No, and you know like the second the you know. The girl walks out of the room. He's like, you know, just bouncing his skull off the table, be- the- off his desk, because he's like, oh, God, I'm an idiot. Boink. <laughs> and Do you have this problem? To a portrait of Margaret Thatcher. Of course she did. <laughs> you saucy, saucy minx. minx. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I, I think even Margaret Thatcher has children, and I dare say she never had sex. Um, yeah, she's, she's cold and frosty. I'm sorry. Damn. Well, she is known as the Iron Lady for a reason, I, I guess. W- I grew up in the 80s, and, <laughs> you know, we had Reaganism, and she was pretty much the British version of Reaganism, and so therefore, yeah. Ouch. She was not good. <laughs> All right. Apart from the prime minister. Um, let's see. Uh, I kind of related a little bit to the Martin Friedman thing. Um, as the <laughs> as the stand-in, I've worked the as a naked stand-in? stand-in. I've worked as a stand-in, but not a naked stand-in. Um, I love his seven years in Tibet uh, line. Oh God, that's hilarious. Bread <laughs> yeah. um, I I I think it's funny how how true to life it is about filmmaking that when you see something in a movie that looks really sexy and hot, it's the byproduct of it's a not. lot of boring. You know, boring, technical mm-hmm. stuff that takes forever to achieve and accomplish. Oh, I was watching um, the cutaway sequences during the Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, which feature Hugh Grant's prime minister and his catering manager, uh, played by Martine McClutchin, Natalie, as they're standing backstage trying to hide the fact that they want to kiss each other so bad. And I'm watching it and watching it going, how long did they have to hold the intensity of we're getting closer and closer and closer? And back to one, we start away closer and closer and closer. (laughs) Back to one, closer and closer and closer. Oh, my God. Can we just fucking make out already? (laughs) But, like, things like that, just you're right. Mm Mm-hmm. The ta- the most beautiful, hot, steamy scenes that you could ever imagine are technical nightmares and oftentimes not yeah. as hot as you think they are. Trust me, I've been in them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, it's hard to pick like favorites out of these, though. Um, I think they all work really well. Um, I... I like the um, I'm I'm blanking on the character name, but you know the dad and the son, which is something you brought up. Yeah, Liam Neeson, um, and Tommy Neeson, Sangster. Yeah, as as something that we don't see a lot of good positive father son relationships in movies. Not anymore. And um, the best one prior to this, and I had mentioned this earlier, uh, was Sleepless in Seattle. Tom Hanks and his son then. Uh, funny enough, both films, the wife had been previously widowed, mm-hmm. which creates, I think, this bond between uh the father and the son, uh, not only of grief, but of hope. And also this idea that 
the child can also be an adult reinforcing the adult to embrace their inner child. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you, I don't think we see that all that much anymore. Um, I do like the Laura Linney story as well. Um, I think because because it doesn't have a happy ending, um, which I think says something about me, maybe. Um, but no, no, that's actually one of my favorites as well. Um, I think it's very true to life mm-hmm. that sometimes things, as much as you want them to work out, the timing th- just isn't right. Yeah, and, and it just yeah, it and just doesn't. Know. And uh, you can obviously see that for Carl, her her paramour, um, her unrequited paramour, even when he is interested and things go awry, it hurts on his end as well. Yeah. Because maybe what we're seeing is only one half of the story. What if you flipped the mirror to the other side? What if Carl was unrequited about Laura? Mm-hmm. Which which they kind of in, in intimated anyway. Yeah. With um, you know, the boss being like, "Well, sit down because I got to tell you, I know you're, you. Oh, you, you have the hot about thigh, that in a second. You have the hot thigh sweats for this guy. He has the hot thigh sweats for you. So, <laughs> um, well, sh- he never says that he has it for her. Well, but it, he he broadly yeah. hints. Yeah. Um. But what, yeah, that that office though. Complete HR nightmare. Oh God, yes. <laughs> That's the one Thank thing. Thank God I was like, they're English. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this in a way that yeah, this is kind of a product of its time because no boss would be allowed to have that kind of conversation with one of their employees. No. Uh, yeah, you make allowances because it's a movie and stuff, and you it's a romantic comedy. Mm. But yeah, there are there are portions where I'm just like, oh. This is awful. And then and and then the office culture decides let's hold our Christmas party at, at, <laughs> a the, museum. Art, at the art gallery with all the naked wieners and butts on the wall. <laughs> I love that so much. It's it's funny. It's I kind of want to do that for our Christmas party. I just don't know how to set it up. <laughs> but if I could get reproductions of the artwork that was in that film, I would hang it everywhere. <laughs> Including the four tops would be right above the bar in the dining room Oof. on the mirror. You know exactly where. I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the relationship between Colin Firth's character of Jamie and his cleaning his Portuguese cleaning lady Aurelia. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's very sweet. And... It's very sweet because they don't speak the same language, mm-hmm. but for some. I mean, the idea under- love transcends language yeah. is is kind of cheesy and corny, but it's so well done here, and I think exactly. Colin Firth pulls it off because he's he's kind of got an ed- every man charm to him, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just like you know, everybody is working at the height of their powers here in this movie, but you know, <laughs> so it's hard to say Colin Firth is like a standout here because they're all fucking standing out. You, the second you decide, okay, this guy's no, then the other There's guy, literally- but. Actually, no actor in here who is. Yeah, you can't pick one out because the second you do, your brain goes, "Well, what about this other thing? This other person? Oh yeah." Then and then you're just like, "Oh yeah," Uh, 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 and then your brain seizes up and you have a seizure and fall over. Favorite scene. (laughs) Um, 
Boy, that's that's weird. Um, I have two. Hmm. One is a moment. One is a scene. So actually, let me do that instead. Uh, okay. Moment scene. Uh, favorite scene. I think the first one. My the first thing that's kind of jumping to my mind actually is when Alan Rickman is buying the locket, and Ron Atkinson is just taking forever to do all the packaging on it. They and did it's, so many full takes of it's that. It's so delightful. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's one more moment. Uh, it, the flashiest of flashes. <laughs> and and <laughs> it's... Rowan Atkinson has this amazing ability. If people just know him from Mr. Bean and that's it, search out everything else he's ever done. Because he's amazing! He, he, he's a treasure! He can be absolutely unctuous. When he needs to be, and here he is just like, just dancing up to the the, <laughs> the, the, line. the line of that, and then going, oh, you know, there's there's a there's a couple of lines I'm thinking of, um, especially in Black Adder, the third series, where Black Adder is um, uh, talking with uh, Samuel Johnson about the first dictionary, and Black Adder is totally unimpressed with uh, Johnson. Played by um, uh, Robbie Coltrane, by the way, and um, and he's just sitting there and he starts, starts making up these words. And Johnson's like, "What?" And he starts like scribbling these <laughs> these new words down, and it's just hilarious. Uh, oh, I'm so you know, I'm you know, spasmodic to have caused you such peri discombobulations, <laughs> and 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 you know, Johnson's scribbling like a madman, and. He he has a very similar vibe from that here, where he's just like, and he just like when he just pulls up the scoop, and then he scoops in the candy and drops that Goop. in, and you think, okay, he's done with the scoop. Nope, he's got the the uh, the, the paper, the the twisty paper stuff, the to next dump into it, and it just keeps going and going and going. And it's, what are you it's, gonna do? Covered it in yogurt. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you and know, chocolate to the, buttons to the point where you know Alan Rickman freaks out, and it is just a delightful piece of pure comedy <laughs> and timing, and it's just wonderful. It's it's it just jumps out as like a standout portion of this movie. So that's your favorite scene, favorite moment, probably my favorite scene. Um, I think my favorite moment, and it's another one of those where we. Uh, is just um, uh, Hugh Grant going up the street trying to find uh, his assistant there. <laughs> and and the door before we get to it, before we get to her, and her coming down and going, has anybody seen my fucking coat? Uh, no, um, you gotta say it right. I'll say it right. Okay, please say it right. <laughs> Where the fuck is my fucking coat? Yes. Um, and, like, her next door neighbor is... The woman, Alan Rickman's who, secretary, yeah. who is trying to become his mistress. Yes, yes. And again, it's just like one of those, like, oh, that's interesting, and then boom, and it's like, oh, okay, and that's that's actually like the first domino that leads up to the school the pageant, pageant. And, and that's where you start seeing everything, you know, click together like that, and it's, which I think is just wonderful. My favorite scene belongs to, uh. Bill Nye's Billy Mac and his manager, uh, Joe, when he finally realizes that he has spent most of his life with Joe and therefore the only family he actually truly has, which I think encompasses the idea of 
Love Actually and of Christmas, you, love doesn't mean just a partner. It doesn't mean your blood. It can mean the person that you have spent so much time with that you are inseparable from each other. Mm-hmm. Like you and I have joked before where we see friends with friends and we're like, well, they're a package deal. I'm sure they've said the same about us. That's true. Oh, I'm sure they have. <laughs> Never to our face, but behind our backs, I'm sure. Oh, please. I've said it. <laughs> I have said it. So, wait. Are you Joe or are you Billy Mack? I don't know at this point. <laughs> and I don't know if you can answer that either. Uh, I can answer, but I won't on air. <laughs> Um, and I think that scene really actually starts to – that's the moment that kicks off the whole third act mm-hmm. is when we start seeing the denouements of people realizing what Christmas truly means to them and the people who are the most important in their lives at that moment. It is not when we uh, – that is when you start seeing them connect mm-hmm. is when the prime minister shows up at Natalie's house and – Alan Rickman's yeah. secretary's next door. But the true start of that third act is Billy Mack and his manager. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and you're talking a thematic, scene. you know, the thematic delivery. Oh, absolutely. I'm yeah. talking more about a plot mechanics. Oh, yes. Kind of thing. No, so, no, I which, agree. Which, you know, are both functioning kind of at the you know, same at level. Same, same level at the same time. Billy is – Billy's story is the only one that's completely separate from everyone else, which is kind of makes sense why his would start – and then everything else that does connect comes afterwards. Mm-hmm. But without that strong starter, the rest does not work. Because then you fall somewhere in the middle with his story and it won't connect on the same level. Um, also, favorite moment, bringing it back to Liam Neeson and Tommy. After he chases his crush through the airport, Tommy Sangster is brought back out to his stepdad. The little girl chases him out, kisses him on the mm-hmm. cheek. Yeah, that's it that's is, very sweet. It, it's sweet is one of the most heartwarming moments I have ever seen on film. Because the look on Tommy Sangster's face, he glows. It is that air of, if I had wings right now... I would actually be flying. Nothing could ever in life could ever be better than this. And when he jumps into Liam Neeson's arms and spins him around, he stretches out his arms and it kind of takes us back to that moment midway in the film where they're like, well, this is bad news. We need Kate. We need Leo. (laughs) We need him now. And they start watching Mm -hmm. Titanic together. It is that moment. But between a father and a son. Yes. And it is perfect. Mm-hmm. Really quick, though, I need to talk about one thing that okay. traumatized half a generation. <laughs> as much as we love Alan Rickman as Snape, we love him as the Sheriff of Nottingham, we love him as Hans Gruber. I know that pained you to say, <laughs> bringing up No, Die that, Hard. no. Th- actually. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. If you want to be technical, Friday is an Alan Rickman double feature. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that just made that. you yeah. very happy. Oh. 
what he does to Emma Thompson actually did piss people off mm-hmm. for several fucking years. And it still has to this day as people start to come in and revisit this film. Um, the idea that he gave that necklace to his secretary left Emma Thompson out in the lurch, swapped it out for a CD of Joni Mitchell breaks so many hearts. Oh, it's it's it is awful. And that's what I like about this movie though. I mean, it doesn't go and make everything perfect. It's it's okay. It's not a Hallmark movie. No, it's any real. Imagine it. it feels yeah, real. There are real emotions. Love isn't always great. <laughs> it feels like there are stakes. It feels like yeah, some things work out and some mm-hmm. things just don't. Um on the commentary, Tommy Sangster mentions how at one point he asked Emma Thompson how she got the emotions that she did when she steps away from the family finding out about the CD, knowing that he bought a gold neck- necklace and gave it to someone else. Mm-hmm. And he had, she had a good idea who. Mm-hmm. And she disappears into her bedroom to cry Tommy asked her, how did you get that? She goes, you live it. I know that this movie came out in 2003. But several years prior, Emma Thompson went through a nasty public breakup from Kenneth Branagh when he cheated on her with Helena Bottom Carter during their making of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. That was everywhere. So there is a hope, I I think, for us Harry Potter fans. When we sit down to watch this and we see that Snape is married to Professor Trelawney, (laughs) he's not going to fuck her over like Gilderoy Lockhart did. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Gilderoy Lockhart fucking Bellatrix Lestrange. Whoa, that's a combination. No, no. I didn't think about that. See, that's the problem. Once you start plugging Harry Potter characters into a British thing. (laughs) It's. It's everything because every british actor on the aisles was in a harry potter film somewhere um <laughs> and Hugh I, grant wasn't that's that's um how did he skate colin by? firth wasn't i don't don't understand how those two those two and tom baker are like the only ones i can think of <laughs> and tom baker would have been great he would have been an interesting dumbledore i would have been a great character in harry potter and love actually <laughs> I, i'm sure i could turn on the job somewhere Okay. Okay. All right. I think on that note, though, we're going to wrap it up for this week. You can find Love Actually on all the streaming outlets. and Including if, Netflix. Yes. Free right now. And if you're listening to this right as we drop this, uh, the first full week of December coming up this uh, Friday, Love Actually is back in our cinemas for a couple of days to celebrate its 20th anniversary. Grab some friends, grab a loved one or three, get some popcorn or nachos or whatever you like. Or banoffee pies. And and head to uh, the cinema for a great time. I can't wait to do that with you and our friends and family. Looking forward. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com. And we are now available on iTunes and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post, head directly there, search and hit subscribe.
And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next time with, if all things go to plan, our review of the new Yorgos Lanthimos film, Poor Things, starring Mark Ruffalo and Emma Stone. And I am very excited to see and talk about this movie. I'm very excited for that. There's been a lot of hype going on for that. Yep. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. 